Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Comet's Tale podcast with Ty. Caitlin. And today we have a special guest friend. Aaron. Uh, Aaron has <laughs> been, we were realizing, a recurring character in these podcasts. Um, we've spoken about her both directly and implicitly in a few episodes. Y'all just won't shut the fuck up about it. Yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot of material with Aaron. Um, uh, so, we had a very lovely brunch today. It's the Orthodox Easter holiday uh, with her pagan family here in our hometown. And, um, well, pagan and fallen Mormon family of hers. <laughs> <laughs> and so we thought, it, we've been wanting to have a podcast with Erin for some time, and so we thought it would be a great opportunity to use today to invite her into a conversation Um it should also be mentioned that in today's episode, we're going to be talking about climate change and, you know, what response to the planetary crisis here and now looks like. And one thing that kicked this off that we should also mention is um, an essay that Caitlin recently had published by the publication High Country News, where she was speaking about uh, the beetle kill crisis here in Colorado and how, you know, drought conditions are killing off a lot of the forests here um, and noticing this in her own Backyard. It was a really excellent essay, and it's great that she was able to get it published. Um, and recently, it was Earth Day, also. So um, it's very fitting. All of it's yeah. very fitting. Planetary questions have really been on our mind. We were also talking with Aaron's mom, Andrea, about um, planting flowers and uh, you know renegade people who she encounters when she's working her city job trying to plant flowers. So. The, the impasses otherwise, the social impasses to doing good for the planet. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Erin, would you like to maybe just say a little bit more about yourself or about what you want to bring up today? I guess, well, you guys did let me choose the topic, which was very nice. And um, I don't know, it's just something I've been thinking a lot about because obviously we're getting into fire season. We already have several fires going in Colorado, mm. all across the West. Um, that one UN climate report just came out saying, hey, our window for actually affecting change is getting smaller and smaller. Uh, yeah, just all these things start really just piling up. So what I kind of wanted to do was, like, how could we even possibly fix this? Like, what's going on? And also, I think most importantly as like we're not overly powerful people none of us are oil tycoons we can't actually do like a ton of direct stuff but like how can we as individuals both do what we can to help the planet but also i guess how can we do it without getting super depressed on the state that we're in yeah how do we not be a doomer yeah well and something that's really poignant i think for all three of us is like this is our world that we were born into. We never really lived in a world without these constraints. Um, and I would say that all three of us were raised in such a way that uh, it was always something like in our minds. You, you guys mm. might, um, you know, have other things to say about that. But like I, I was concerned, <laughs> you know, in mm. my own way from when I was like a child like yeah. even like just just from from whenever whenever I was able to cognitively understand what was going on um part of that is because I grew up off grid and that was just kind of like 
we we tried the whole <laughs> we tried the whole um off-grid living slash self-sufficiency <laughs> slash all of that but uh probably picked the worst place in the entire world to do that in which is near Gunnison, Colorado which is my mom likes to say colder than Siberia I <laughs> which it actually a, a, a is point. your mom <laughs> says something so hilarious at this brunch like she so Caitlin and her family used to live like in an earth ship and also a yurt um, sort of housing style at this off-grid place near Gunnison and her mom was saying yeah when we left that place I left all my diaries so the pack rats would find it and my kids would never have to read about my so past. So they could be bulldozed. <laughs> oh, amazing. Nature is a great truly the great overtaker. It, it can um, it claims the past. And honestly just thinking about that I do think that the way that we view climate change is a little funky because we always talk about how we can save the planet. The planet's going to be here. Mm. Yeah. What we're really trying to do is save ourselves save and save well, our, planet, ha- yeah. our habitat on this planet. The planet is the infinite player. Yeah. We are mere yeah. finite players and beings yeah. upon its surface. Yeah. Like we're not, we like to think ourselves as the stewards of the planet, but we don't have control over the planet mm. really. It's going to do what it's going to do. Right. And we just have to learn to live with it versus try to control it and tame it and then get flooded out yeah. because we don't understand how rivers work. <laughs> well, that just makes me think, like, on a broader note, like, what is the role of the human, like, in the bigger family of nature? Um, I mean, I don't know. You could think about how we as people maybe our place sort of in the bigger continuum of life is to provide meaning for to through culture through through knowledge to you know sort of reflect nature back unto itself in a way and how that's kind of our I mean I'm just kind of speaking very broadly and sort of loosely here but that's how that's the human role as a living creature on planet on the planet earth is to there, our place and our kind of implication in this bigger system this bigger kind of system and ecology of, of life and of being is one that at its best and at its purest and at its, its kind of most central is to reflect on upon all of that and insofar as we're out of alignment with that we then can destroy the context that we inhabit insofar as we're not kind of you know performing our function um in the bigger continu- continuum of things that leads to fallout and to kind of entropy and to destruction and i think you know a lot of we've been very kind of lustfully inclined towards exploiting the world right through industrialism and have kind of forgotten that task um ergo we have the kind of planetary crisis that we inhabit now or that's one way very loosely we could maybe think about all of this yeah i guess i don't disagree with you at all i just don't think of it as more of a role i think it's more of a responsibility we built for ourselves Mm. Like, at no point was nature's like, I need a human so we can I have need writing. a hero. It was more, it just happened. Right. Well, that's a very... And right. then we started, like, we didn't know at the beginning of the agricultural revolution that, oh, this will be a problem in several thousand years. Right. We were just like, oh, cool, we can start growing our food. We don't have to move around as much. We can start fucking around with animals, you know? Sometimes <laughs> literally. <laughs> but, yeah, so I think it's kind of the thing where it's like, we've gotten ourselves into the mess I think a lot of it is because we don't see ourselves as part of nature. So I do Mm. really agree with that. Like humans, we like to think ourselves as we're the top of the animals. Like we're the best of it. Like we are the epitome of what evolution should be. 
and kind of that idea where it's like, no, we're just an offshoot. Right. Like, it just kind of happened. And because of we got bigger brains, we got opposable thumbs, we started using fire, we started building, we, yeah, really disconnected ourselves from the nature world, but also really tried to be like, we are in control of this. Mm-hmm versus seeing ourselves as a part of it well and that change happened really fast Mm. happened so much happened really fast that like uh, i don't know i think in a lot of ways this is arguable but i think in a lot of ways we've like hit the peak of what we can do i i'm 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 sure there are so many other like scientific capabilities of you know like i don't know just general technology and um, like life uh, life altering things that technology can bring us but on the physical plane like I can't really imagine what else to do techno- technologically like we, we've had the industrial revolution well first we had the agricultural re- like revolution that changed then late, much later obviously the industrial revolution and we've kind of like peaked out of like oh so if we continue on this path, like, that as as exponentially as we have, it's undoable. Like, that's just simply not an option at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, there has to be some scaling back of, of, of at least the progress that we're making as quote-unquote society. And, like, I mean, lest we really just fuck it up for ourselves. Well, isn't it interesting how the moment that that hubris gets a little bit too big... It bites us in the ass you know there are these kinds of checks and balances that are just you know woven into the kind of you know the planetary system itself i mean i like to think about that i mean i think i was kind of mentioning this when we were speaking about alchemy a couple episodes ago um that yeah the planetary system itself at a very physical material level is is able to to counteract these kinds of imbalances and you know or there are causes and, and effects, of course, to any kind of action. Um, uh, and that, you know, yeah, like, we have this assumption, I think, as people implicated at this point in history, that we sort of live on top of nature. Um, but it obviously is becoming increasingly clear that that's very much not the case. We're very much vulnerable to, you know, processes beyond ourselves. Um, and I think there's a kind of humility that's really has so much to teach us there when we can realize that no we're not just kind of master players over over this planet and over the kind of ecology of life that we live in to the contrary we're really subject to that and we're um uh we're just one actor of many in this kind of bigger system often in ways that we really can't anticipate and are very poor at anticipating it's very it's often that we don't see the bigger point of view until we're in a problem situation where we have to see the bigger, you know, kind of sets of relationalities. Yeah, but also thinking about hubris is a lot of times people do know things and we then mm-hmm. we ignore them. Right. Yeah. Like think about California, like the native tribes there would burn stuff down seasonally because fires mm-hmm. fires actually pretty good for trees. It'll kill the young ones if it doesn't get out of control. It generally doesn't go off the big ones. Some trees. Like, acorns only burst, or their little seeds will only burst in a fire. Hmm. Fire also, like, if it doesn't burn out of control, will add a lot of nutrients back into the ground. Hmm. So, like, having small seasonal fires, really good in that area. Then, of course, 
when um, California became like a state, they stopped doing that because it was stupid. Why would you need to do that? Mm. And now we're seeing hey, there's a reason they need to do that because <laughs> California burst into fucking flames in 2020. <laughs> right. Well, it's just continually bursting into flames. Like, yeah. Because fire is natural there. Yeah. Mm. But we've messed it, so it. Mm. It's now the bad fires. Well, it's, yeah, it's just like we've repressed nature, and so therefore the the opposite response is going to be that much bigger because you can't control it. Every <laughs> action has an opposite and equal reaction. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This just makes me think also how humans as a species, of course, we are of nature just as every living thing is, um, and yet we have a problem with that. You know, we, we, we forget this. Yeah, we really don't like to think of ourselves as yeah. animals. Well, certainly now we don't, you know. Yeah. Um, I think many different societies, cultures, and historical periods where people existed yeah. in, there was a sense of that. And I think today, yeah, we've sanitized that. Almost all, like, ancient religions are, not almost all, but, like, a good chunk of them are, um, like, uh, revering animals. Yeah, it's, there's reciprocity, though. With there's a word for it, but I can't think of it. Animagus? Animals. Uh, Animism. Animism, yeah. Yeah, very animistic, yeah. And I think, so we've forgotten something, and I think we, what is it that we've forgotten, though, is the question. Um, What's the question that we've forgotten to begin with about um, that deals with helping us understand ourselves as part of this continuum while also being... mm, unique within it too you know being able to make things being able to have language being able to you know work can like collaborate with the the more than human world to to appropriate that for our own ends and the fact that we need to that this is what's very interesting is about human speciation is that you know we're born into the world radically vulnerable and underprepared and so we have to make the world work for us we have to make shelter and clothing and um, that's not just given to us in the kind of architecture of our bodies as it might be for well, all these birds that you're, for instance, hearing right now. Birds have it more or less made up. They make nests, but that's about it. Um, or a tree. It just needs some soil and water and it's given conditions and it's good to go. Humans, we're a little bit more... Uh, yeah, we're, we have some, uh, some baggage that we're born with. I would argue, though, that like tools and language are not unique to humans. And I think yeah. a really interesting thing point. would be like yeah, these are things that are not unique to us. We are not right. that special. Like, we know other animals, like whales and um, Beavers, parrots thinking. and, like, dolphins and shit like that, they can, like, recognize themselves. Right. We've taught gorillas and chimps sign language so they can communicate yeah. with us. We can talk to animals. Mm-hmm. So I do think a, I think a large part of it is, yeah, just getting back to the humility and being like, I am not an all-powerful god. Mm. I am not the master of all animals. I'm just a part of this system, and I need to be like, okay, what am I doing? What can I do? Mm. Maybe I shouldn't cut down an entire forest. Because you would be thinking of the other animals because you're not that different from them. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, just kind of that a little bit of humility and a little bit of, yeah, compassion and empathy for other living things, not just other humans. Which we have a problem with empathy with other humans, yeah. so that's asking yeah. a lot. But. <laughs> true. Very true. So, I don't know. Do you guys think that we're... 
as a society or as a culture we're like generally waking up to this of like oh fuck we like we're really like do you do you have hope in that or do you think that like do you think it's gonna be a lot longer i think we're definitely waking up to it i mean I was just noticing even Fox News like will use headlines that include the words like climate change. Um, so it's not global warming anymore in quotes. <laughs> right. <laughs> So-called global warming. Yeah. Uh, I think it's it's impossible not to just unless you are deeply dissociated from the world, as some people are, but unless you are willfully and exerting energy to turn away from what just is at a profoundly simple level. Oh. Uh, yeah, I think we're all waking up to it. Now, the question of what are we doing with this realization is another story. I think there are some of us out there who are saying, all right, we got to radically change and like really recreate how we exist in the world, how we make our societies, our communities, our families, ourselves, our businesses, our schools, our education, the whole infrastructure of human life. That's one kind of response. And then there are others that say, eh, you know, it's meant to be... Eh, I, I'll I'll buy a tote bag from Sierra Club and that's all I'll do. Yeah, or there's people who might see it but say, well, fuck it, I'm just going to be selfish anyway and just own my lot. And, you know, things might be changing and that might be, on, be beyond my control, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to transition to a more other-oriented kind of modality. In fact, that might even make me more selfish. I need to hoard more resources for myself. I need to you know, secure more for myself in the face of all of this. Um, I think that's really where the question lies. How are we responding to the basic shared common universal reality? Yeah. Thoughts yeah, I mean, on your side? I do, yeah, I do think more and more people, especially younger people who are starting to realize, oh, like, I'll be 40 when this goes down, yeah. like that, yeah. are really starting to be like, okay, maybe. But it's also a lot of people are realizing but and like a lot of companies are doing their greenwashing they're saying oh we're donating a little bit we put in l leds everywhere but it's also like individual people can only do so much Mm -hmm. so it's kind of the thing is like we're getting to the point where it's like yeah if we want to survive we're going to need some radical change and i think a lot of people are i mean i'm scared of that because yeah. yeah one of the biggest things is going to be probably personal vehicles mm. and I love having a car I love being able to drive places I love the sense of freedom but every single person having a personal right. car is bad yeah. Right. so yeah there's a lot of looking at it and then just being like that's a huge problem I don't know and I do think a lot of it is going is kind of like people are realizing and then going apathetic because yeah. it's like I mean, I mm. can't do enough on my own. Mm. And no one's doing enough, so what's the point? Yeah, no one wants to, quote unquote, no one wants to give up their, like, their, their, car, their freedom AC. with a car their or car. their AC or, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm just thinking of actually the kind of parallel there with the pandemic, how, you know, in response to the kind of, you know, we're kind of, this is maybe maybe becoming more kind of normalized as part of you know just what life is at the moment and i think you know we have the ability to respond to it in a way that we didn't have a couple years ago but you know that's been very interesting to see how people have mobilized or not you know um 
like just like mask wearing for instance like yeah that's a, a little kind of personal precautionary measure we each have to you know ideally would be kind of implementing and you know in the long run it has some really great you know it has some some very good outcomes to it or how it has very helpful and kind of safety ensuring outcomes if we give up a little bit of our own kind of personal sovereignty this creates more emboldened collective sovereignty and i think to your point aaron i think yeah that's going to be that's the kicker for a lot of people is like yeah i realize that this is that we need to be responding to this but also i don't want to give up my personal comforts but of course the whole point is well that's a very tiny but necessary price to pay for the insured safety and continuation of all of us i do have one point that's kind of near this but this is something that does annoy me a lot when people say oh what is it like 10 companies produce the 71 percent of emissions mm-hmm. and all that stuff it's like yeah and because they're producing stuff for you yeah, right. yeah. like a big thing is heating and cooling no one wants to work in a building that doesn't have heating and cooling in the summer and winter well we're all implicated yeah. in this yeah. none of yeah. us are but yeah that's just the kind of idea of being like oh it's those 10 right. companies fault obviously totally. i can't do anything we have to change them it's like no if you change them you will have to change as well yeah because yeah. what they're doing by and large is for the consumer You're paying them though shout out to the u.s military that we can knock down <laughs> <laughs> that's a polluter we don't you know shout out to the u.s military you know shout out to the uh but yeah yeah we're all implicated in this and we are all participants in the creation of climate change we're all maybe some of us are more guilty than others but it does none of us any good to have like a massive guilt trip here that's not the yeah, point I think that's, and i think yeah. we whip ourselves on the back we're like well, it's just these asshole companies and it's that asshole politician and it's blah, blah, blah. No, it's you too. You are equally implicated and you are equally part of this. You didn't sign maybe up for it, equally. maybe. But you're part of but, the yeah. same current, you know? And and you maybe, you know, we, none of us signed up to be part of the kind of political economy that we were born into. <laughs> but we're here. Uh, you're a participant here. You become an, an actor I mean, you and can you become... opt out, but that's generally frowned upon and will leave your friends and family very sad. But it makes me wonder then also, like, I think what I've been lately is just sort of feeling for myself is like, I think it, the, the real response here that feels, and I want to maybe insert a term here, it's a deep ecology is a term I've been thinking about a lot recently. This is from the philosopher Arnie Ness, who was, I think, a Swiss philosopher, maybe. Um, actually, Diana Ross married his son. <laughs> uh, but he has this idea of deep ecology. He says, you know, in, it was kind of part of the sort of the 90s kind of policy response to climate change when, you know, people like uh, wrote Inconvenient Truth. Do I know it? No, no. Well, who wrote it? It was the... Oh, Al Gore. Al Gore, Al Gore. right. Yeah, really. You know, that, a lot of kind of... That was really a lot of the spearheading of sort of climate change discourse where it was all about we need policy change we need economic change we need kind of these superficial top-down measures to address the problem of, of climate change and certainly all those things are, are necessary but Arnie Ness was pointing out yes and we need to go more grassroots this needs to also be something that's initiated from the bottom up in terms of you know at a very foundational level changing things like how do we perceive the world how do we understand something like what we call nature how are we at a basic existential level living and making the world around us? And I think the deep ecological approach as I'm seeing it is really the f- only kind of choice we have. Yeah, we could have policy interventions, but we see how fickle those are, you know, how you can just opt out if it, depending on who's president or how you can 
you know, fail to meet the kind of um, requirements of like a policy plan or something. Or um, they could put it off so you can do it over the next 20 years. Right. right. You can very just, incremental. Yeah, kind of, yeah, put it off, consign it to the future. Um, but alternatively, you know, a deep, ecologi- e- a deep ecological approach is one that is built brick by brick from the bottom up. Um, and I think we have to have some of that and we have to start doing some of that work. Um, because that really is where we're going to find integrity and the means to actually follow through on changing things and changing how we are implicated in the world. As well as building communities. If right. you start in your community, if you start in your community, you build up your community. You understand your local ecology better than better than Washington. Yeah. So they or say. hell, we understand in the Western Slope better than Denver. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's just. I do think, yeah, we do need a lot of grassroots stuff. We need people working up. But it's also, that's really hard work, and it's asking a lot from people. Well, it requires yeah. we all say yes yeah. to that. Well, and it requires it. reaching back to the the hound people, you know? like it's Oh, the hounds died. <laughs> oh, both of them? Well, I think one might have ran away, oh and then his God. girlfriend might have killed one, according oh, to my mom. Jesus. She has theories. Well, who are we hearing then now? Oh, my God. Oh, the there's other dogs. dogs. Okay. <laughs> there's always dogs. That's so sad. Um, it's kind of wow. sad. Rest in peace, Poor hounds. Um, so, just a slight note: our physical uh, and beings right now are like in the very spot that we like we were during the pandemic. Leveled down, leveled down, to. down to the fucking ground. Um, <laughs> we're sitting in Aaron's parents' fire pit. And we, not in we the would fire have, pit itself, not, <laughs> where the fire pit used to be, there's a rotunda here. We're, we're speaking we're in the rotunda as we did in the dark times. In the ashes. In the ashes. Um, but, so, but yeah, it is hard. It's hard to, I mean, at least, like, I'll share a little bit about my thing right now is, like, I'm so, I don't know. I want to move from this community and like clearly as we've seen today with this brunch like I do know a lot of people in this community and whatnot but it's like I'm so ready to move somewhere personally and start fresh and like how like I mean one of the first things I looked at in moving was like where has a community garden like where like where can I find the people that will you know be a community towards me like to have these shared values because you know it's very hit or miss here on the western slope like not everyone has our greatest like this is anywhere but it's very especially potent here like not everyone has your greatest good in mind they care about jeeping they care about like you know as long as i can ski i don't give a fuck like there's not really it just really depends on who you're talking to in this culture of like do you care or not do you care about recreation from a conservationalist level as well or do you just want to go rip up the trails and run your atv all around the wilderness and like Mm. you just want to have fun Girls just wanna <laughs> kill the environment. <laughs> Whoa, girls just wanna have sun and scorched earth. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. But see, that's a that's a hard thing with community too. Is like your entire community is never gonna buy completely into it, especially when you know we live in a small town or like we live in 
you live in a slightly bigger small town. <laughs> what do you call it? Hey, the small? largest town on the western yeah. slope. Yeah, true. <laughs> 62,000. 62, <laughs> cosmopolitan yeah. epicenter. Yeah. <laughs> we have a mall. The center of empire. <laughs> but, like, that's... Even in places as small as that, it's hard to to find community and to, to you know, agree on things mm-hmm. by and large. So... You know, why should we care about doing any of this? I think... Because we'll die if we don't. We'll die if we do. We'll die anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we'll die sooner in fiery flames but I, in a I, I horrible, think, uncomfortable that's situation. That's a very limited answer. Yeah, that would suck. But I feel like there's also yeah, like a deeper like I wouldn't mind people a hundred years from now going to the Black Canyon and being like, huh, cool. Yeah, yeah that's I mean, pretty. well, there's, well, there's this continuation of humanity. the human spirit, yeah, and humanity, and, like, the kind of existential continuation of, like, us as the only known of our kind who has this kind of sentience on the planet in a very anthropocentric way, but also of life on this planet, and life in the universe, in the cosmos, like, it, it's, there, there really is no reason why, we, if, if you're being, like, totally nihilistic, there's really, honestly, no reason that we should have to be compelled to do any of this it's only insofar as we say this has meaning and it's deserving of our response you know um and i think that's the thing also is like how do we put a a fire under under all of our our feet to say you know we might only feel the effects of climate change in xyz way right now but this is just a kind of appetizer i guess you could say of what's to come you know and it demands that we act now, even if we're not ex- experiencing the kind of longer-term outcomes right. or effects of what might yet be yet to come. And also, I think that we have to stop thinking about climate change as just the climate. Like, climate change is going to lead to more immigration. Yeah. It's going to lead to more economic instability, probably, as people... Oh, certainly. Yeah, people have to move. Entire industries will collapse. Countries will no longer be inhabitable and stuff like that. It's going to be a very right. wide ranging thing that has right. a lot of things going on this is not just the climate it's, yeah it's not it's just not just disasters. oh it's going to be a little hotter in the summer it's yeah. like yeah it's going to be a little hotter and uh, coffee doesn't exist anymore yeah <laughs> we don't eat bananas anymore we can't get them here and they are a monoculture and a bug has wiped them all out yeah yeah we'll probably see a ton more fu- food insecurity because the global south produces so much of our food yeah and yeah i'm and looking those are at the this... places they're getting hot and hotter and hotter and hotter. <laughs> yeah like boiling yeah or yeah think about mexico because that's where we get our fruit <laughs> this mexico yeah. is a yeah. concept yeah yeah and also think like it's hugely coastal if yeah. the seawaters sea rise how much of mexico will be gone not even just think of it like well so Florida's much of the world's gone. population yeah. is on coast yeah like, it'd like, be like 70%? a third or something of the world's population is it that 67? much it's a lot yeah. but a lot of people yeah. will be displaced yeah and you know that has a million upon a million implications to it just because it will migration. be billions of people yeah. having to move and having to move having to abandon everything they had yeah. oh my god i think it was ben shapiro who's just like oh god if if the waters rise, people will just sell their houses and move. And it's like, sell them to whom? <laughs> yeah. To Poseidon. Yeah, it's like, if your house is flooding, you're not going... <laughs> to Poseidon himself. Right. Like, you're not going to be well, able to hey, sell. The good news is that 
Mar-a-Lago will disappear. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm no longer opposed to this. <laughs> uh, um, well, so... I, I mean, if you want to keep going on, like, why we should care about this or why people should care about this. But I'm also curious, like, how do we, like, what's what's important? How, like, how, I, I don't want to become, like, a resource of, like, I know everything there is to know about climate change and therefore what we need to do about exactly it. exactly how we're fucked. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, like, what... What like I don't know like what what's the way out what's the solution well one what thing do we do? I, I'm thinking of like maybe to answer that question is like those are also really great and important like kind of macro examples of like the bigger bare bones effects and implications of all of this but I think the way in which for me certainly I think for all of us like having con- had conversations with the two of you like where you really feel it like at a heart centered level is like oh I see my reservoir doesn't have any water this summer I see mm-hmm. my trees are dead in my I front yard I see that I had to cut down seven pinion pies in my pinion pinion pies mm-hmm. you know pinion <laughs> pines <laughs> in my front yard I see that the mountain range that I grew up looking at every day for the entirety of my great. life has no snow on it in May when it should have had it throughout the summer yeah you know and I I mean for me I, I landscape is really just a very a powerful way in which I just first of all register planetary change but in a very local felt known way and I'm very lucky and grateful that you know I and I think the three of us by extension you know grew up in a place where we really have a connection to land where we're really in contact with the earth itself you know not to say that you can't have that in a city but it's very very evident and obvious in a place like where we live you know we have this really sensational mountain range it's a very obviously beautiful place that you would say wow this really i feel very i love that i get to live here this is like very spiritually resonant and fulfilling and meaningful for me that i get to exist in the world in a place like this of course i would want to protect it you know and i think it's made it very clear to live in a place like this that this is worth protecting for its own sake without any kind of utilitarian outcome to it but just because it's a place where humans and other than human beings can be and commune and you know discover meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction in a way that often can't be articulated very well in words at all and i think uh if we can all just sort of get a sense of what is climate change for me firstly for my family for my community and by extension the world right how does how does my connection to climate change from this particular place in the world at this period in history connects to someone at an entirely different, entirely different point in time at an entirely different physical location. And how can I understand my relationality locally and specifically, but also generally? And I think that's that's really the kind of like cognitive trick here is like, it's really hard just to think about how am I connected to anyone at all who's halfway across the world from me? Why should I care about them? And why should they care about me? Yeah, I think the best way to do anything would just be starting local. Yeah. Like you talked about you want to move to a place with a community garden. You could start one here. Yeah. And be the community garden. Be the fucking community garden. Which, again, it's a fair amount of work, and it is asking a lot of individual Mm. people to do, but at some point, someone's going to have to. Mm. Yeah. I think also a very, very important thing is just yet to avoid the pessimism to avoid apathy to avoid just being like oh well fuck it well and also recognizing that there's a balance like no one's gonna be perfect all the time and you're not fixing it on your own right 
it should not be on your mind all the time. Right. Yeah. Right. I think, well, I think the three of us are a good example of, like, families and people who, like, really have done this in, like, a um, integrated way of, like, I'm just sitting here looking at, well, the beginnings of the garden. I see the garlic all covered, but it's, like, you know, it's, like, a fairly large garden in this backyard here, and I know that your mom actually, she's a great gardener, and she's good at, she gets good production, and, um, your sister also is she gets great production as well do, yeah in in salt lake and um i don't know that's just like a really cool thing that's a really because it's 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 work but it's also fun and it's also like that's just like integrating learning into your food ways of like mm. oh now i know what a good tomato looks like and like what the fuck have I been eating for the past mm-hmm. like 20 years? You know what I mean? Or like, not that I've, I've had that moment myself, but I've, I've had moments in teaching w- to the kids of like, you guys don't like veggies cause you've never had a good one. You've had, you've only had you've like had, boiled stuff. You've had, well, you've had either boiled yeah. stuff or you've or had stuff that's shipped across flavorless. Yeah. Things. Flavorless stuff. That's not in season. Um, and I don't know. I just think I, just going off of the community garden thing I think that's a really amazing way like food sovereignty is a really amazing place to start and of course like some places are easier to do that in um but that's just simply like that's you taking a stand and saying oh I'm gonna eat x amount that I have grown myself Mm. And isn't it also like exciting and just it beautiful? It is. And very, I think it's really amazing. And, and, and dirt makes you happy. And dirt makes you happy. Uh-huh. You know, I was just thinking also, I was saying, like, how can we extend empathy to someone halfway across the world? But how can we extend empathy to an earthworm or just like recognition to an earthworm or to a being that is not a human, right? Yeah. And I think doing something like a kind of a form of grassroots, grassroots work, just like having your own garden in, in a community garden or just in your own backyard, like, that's a really excellent example of a place to start thinking about this kind of chain of being to, uh, in a very experiential way. Um, uh, and I think also it, I think self-sufficiency is one of the kind of things that can arise in tandem with this, you know, asking these kinds of questions and carrying that out practically. Um, you also then become more adept at sort of claiming the the untapped knowledge that you have about how to live in the world right um which we all have you know it's humans are we've gotten this far obviously and we've we've worked our way up from you know sort of hunter gatherers to what we have now and i think that's just very much part of our our species heritage and i don't know maybe that sounds very romantic to say we should return to more kind of simpler or kind of um, basic times or a more basic state but i don't mean that in a kind of sentimental way but just simply in the fact that you kind of access your humanity more broadly and are able to yeah i think steward or kind of um respond to or care for just interacting with it yeah yeah just yeah just like putting yourself in a place where it's like you are that type of human instead of one that's like driving a car and going to target you're like just alienating you know, right. it, it undoes right. the alienation i think right. that's a kind of key 
again, that we're just so uh, bifurcated, so alienated, so uh, sort of incubated, I guess I would say, just cut off, right? When, when the kind of infrastructure of like, you know, late capitalism has left us in that kind of state, it's gonna be tricky to initiate that process of like saying, oh, there's something be like, this isn't just what is, I can actually live in a more relational kind of capacity. So just get curious there, I think is a really excellent starting point because curiosity really is all the kind of fuel you need, I think in one respect, because then, you know, the techniques and the kinds of skills and the kind of practices that will maybe carry that forward, they emerge pretty intuitively if only you kind of choose to, to foreground some of your own curiosity. To get a little less optimistic for a second, I think it's been really interesting to see how social media has affected um, this kind of like adventure culture or like this outdoorsy culture where it brings a lot of people who, you know, it brings people to nature and they're able to have these, you know, transcendental experiences and you know, kind of the mountains are calling and I must go vibes of like the John mirification (laughs) of it all. Um, (laughs) But, you know, a lot of these people lack conservation knowledge and lack, lack the understanding of like, you know, in a city, when you walk, you're on a sidewalk and when it's concrete, it's concrete, you're not going to hurt anything. Um, and it just like that's a, such a simple thing but like that it, the awareness is not necessarily there i'm not saying everyone who's from the city who goes and hikes in the backcountry is like doesn't know anything but like that's a that's a huge it's <laughs> a huge like thing that people you know they just want the instagram pictures and they just want to tell themselves as it's a totally yeah totally like getting away from this transactional mm-hmm. like what I, can I get what can I what can I I oh I'm gonna take all these pictures and then I'm gonna leave and never go there again mm-hmm. like I'm gonna take like sexy bikini pictures and then that'll be like a perfect thing to put on my Instagram and it just furthers your ego right. like the so like I said not saying that everyone who does that is like doesn't know what they're doing but that's kind of an effect of what social media has had on climate because people see this like really glitterly like lovely quality of like wow I want to be close to nature like yeah yes or just seeing and recognizing hey that place is beautiful right yeah that too that's really interesting I'm just thinking um I was speaking to someone else earlier today at this brunch about my master's dissertation topic actually and um it was on landscape that was the kind of bigger theme and this is just for me a, a big interest of mine and something that I like that I explore in a lot of ways you know intellectually and aesthetically and just in conversations and through a lot of different angles but I was writing about this town called Page Arizona where there's the Antelope Canyon system which is these kinds of very famous sandstone polished canyons they're very beautiful Um, but and I went there on a tour uh, once just as a tourist there and it was really fascinating how everyone, the moment you enter these canyons, the phones come out, the cameras go up, and that's the only way. You're viewing from behind a camera basically the mm-hmm. whole tour. And I was really, well, at first just really turned off by this, but then I became really interested in, that's really fascinating that this is our way of knowing nature and the kind of society of the spectacle that we live in. It's from behind a camera lens, and nature is yeah. good and valuable and real insofar as it makes a good picture. As, yeah, it's less that we're seeing it through com- our camera lens. It's that we are 
making it into content. We're making it into something yeah. that we can show other people. Because Instagram is all about showing other people. It's the, yeah. yeah, it's the ego, the human ego there of, like, yeah, commodification like, yeah. of place. What about, like, a bog? Why should a bog deserve our care, you know? And I think... That's where we get cranberries from, oh, Ty. Right, God, right, read a book. But why should, like, a... And butter. Mm. And butter. Yeah, the Irish <laughs> butter. butter. Bog know, butter. I'm just thinking, oh. like, I live near... Just called the adobe area here it's just these adobe clay hills and like you can't grow anything out there they're not sort of agriculturally useful or viable and there's a you know the landfill for our small cities out there and people just dump other things they find lots of carcasses of animals oh, and God. other things out there uh but i love that place i think i think a lot of people just see it as this like dumping ground wasteland but i and you know other people you know dirt bike on it they kind of use it for recreation but i just go out there because i think it's just a stunning place to be and to really get creative also about saying what really does deserve my attention is it just the kind of beautiful spectacular parts of this planet or is it just like a flat marsh can i appreciate these dry hills can some boring plains be you know deserving of my attention and of my my real fascination in a way i guess but it's like they need to be saved irregardless of whether you find them interesting. I think that's kind of the thing. It's where you have to just look at land and be like, hey, that's there for a reason. Like, bogs are in places because that's where bogs are. Because that's where bogs should be. Because whatever that place is, it's good for a bog. Yeah. It just is. So it's I think part of that natural. idea is that we have to stop thinking about being like, how can we make it prettier? Is this right. pretty enough? Is this nice enough? And just being like, hey... Yeah that's there well, we think of and it it's in, going in, to be there in value terms yeah and less yeah. about how i can this can serve me or what i can yeah. get from it and more of just it's yeah. there and it probably deserves to be there not how is it relative to it's me it's a for habitat my nonetheless yeah how does it exist yeah, in itself tons of things live in bogs yeah. insects i assume frogs maybe some fish and i think i think like yeah. you say like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but decentering the human as what nature is relative yeah. to Right. Yeah, because I think a lot of people can't. It's hard to. I mean, it's it's really difficult to. Because like a beetle would love the dunes that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Like that's that. It would be the most beautiful place in the world to that beetle. Right. It'd be a national park to that beetle. It wouldn't even be beautiful. (laughs) These are very normative (laughs) categories of how we appraise and sort of say that nature should be saved. I mean, like the national park system in the United States, for example. That was, you know, well, it was A, a land grab, but it was done under mm, the yeah. guise of, uh, oh, well, these, there's these really beautiful, spectacular places, and we need to, to save them, because otherwise humans with our grubby, corrupt nature will, will defame this, and we won't have it. And The savages are, are getting to them. That's right. a, that was another piece of it, is like, well, yeah, not only a land grab, but a land grab it. away from, from indigenous people. You know, yeah. And I think, uh, so that is a, an example, f- for instance, of how... You know, we think of nature oftentimes as just being, and again, even the, this term nature needs to be thoroughly questioned, and we need to hold a lot of sort of skepticism towards that word in itself. But just to use it kind of in, in shorthand here, um, yeah, our idea of what nature is and why it's worthy of appreciation or care or attention or preservation is very contingent upon a whole set of political, social, economic aesthetic factors religious factors you know it's it's uh, really far from kind of innate or given as to you know 
why it's important to to care for the place we live or to just kind of have an attention for it to, to have a to just recognize it in the first place so how do we stay optimistic I think the best way is a have friends and have something that you can take your mind off that you can't be thinking about the things that are destroying the world all the time because you will destroy yourself that's not a good mindset and yeah it's hard when you're thinking about it's like oh 2050 I will be math time 60 like if I'm 60 I'd still have 15 years left maybe yeah maybe not in that 2050 but yeah just kind of not thinking about it all the time having friends going out having basically just having a life and being a balanced person so basically all the things that the pandemic took from us yeah yeah that yeah 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 yeah. um and yeah just trying to remain as optimistic as you can doing the small things like um i don't have recycling at my house which kind of sucks i'm trying really hard to like the next big paycheck i have i'm gonna go try to get like one of those big thing big old trash cans that's the word um from like home depot or something and start putting my recycling in there maybe trying to figure out um (laughs) and yeah just trying to do my own little things i'm starting a garden which i'm very excited about and so i'll be able to yeah grow a little bit of my own produce and herbs and yeah it's just doing the little things that i know i can the things that i know i have the power over And, not, and also, and and also thinking in a broader sense of like, okay, who is the person I'm voting for Senate? Think about the um, environment. So there are both small individual things you can do. And also, yeah, think about who you're electing to office. Because they do write laws and it can't all be grassroots. Like yeah. we will have mm. to have some amount of top down. Totally, yeah. Because unless you blow up a company, they're not going to stop producing. Um, and eco-terrorism is a thing, but make up your own mind. <laughs> a broader perspective. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, and I think also, you know, having the understanding that your actions don't exist in isolation. Mm-hmm. And the kind of um, intention for your actions not to exist in isolation. I might be the one initiating the creation of a garden or like a recycling little hub in my own neighborhood for myself. But... Can I also have it in my sort of view there, my vision, to have that be something that inspires others, that ripples outwards, that is my one drop in a bigger bucket that others can add to? Um, I think really just, again, challenging this kind of individual, this individualistic narrative and the kind of centrism of the individual um, that really permeates so much of how we exist in the world today at a very basic level, I think that's what's to be done and and practically carrying that forward in your actions by, I think, like I say, you know, doing them, enacting them with the interest and the intent and the invitation for others to use that as a model for themselves. Yeah, yeah, outreach. The only way we're all gonna do this is that we convince everyone that it's a problem. Right. And yeah, just try to figure out how you can talk to people to convince them without preaching at them, without not listening to them. Because generally, when people don't support something, they have their reasons. And their reasons are very, very good to them. Mm. And they're not going to be persuaded by you just, 
I'll rant, uh, reading off some infographic that you got off of like Instagram or something yeah. about how to convince people about climate change. I think one of the most important things is, yeah, just talking to people, creating some community, getting to know people. Like I have a coworker who's very Republican. He doesn't like the masks or the vaccine mandates or anything. And I've had conversations with him about it and just trying to understand why he thought that way and explaining my position mm. and just kind of, yeah, getting to know him and talking and being like, well, yeah, it's a little bit of um, taking away your personal freedom, but you got to think about the community health and other people. And honestly, I like the guy. We get along well. Mm-hmm. I like talking to him. And yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've changed his mind at all, but I'm definitely, I'm more comfortable around him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's nice. He's been vaccinated, which is awesome. Wow. Do you so, think you were a part of that? No, but I do think I was part of him being more open about it at work, which honestly, mm-hmm. just telling people you've been vaccinated in this community is something. Yeah. I think empathy there is yeah. like really what I'm hearing. Yeah. That's, that's a really... And yeah, and just having somebody who's a Republican being like, yeah, I got vaccinated. I think vaccines are fine. I just don't like the mandates. That's a perfectly good position it's to have. It's logical in someone's own yeah. position. Yeah. 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 And also to think like, yeah, not all Republicans are anti-vax and all that stuff. Well, yeah, like we that, think very monolithically. Yeah. It's very yeah. easy to think monolithically, whoever you are. Um, I think, yeah, that what you say about empathy really just, I think that's where a lot of our collective agency lies. Instead of preaching, instead of through dogma trying to force you to do something, can I lead, can I offer the opportunity for you to really consider why X, Y, or Z might be beneficial for you, for me, for a greater collective on your own terms? Can you start to care about that sincerely from your own perspective? I think unless we're genuinely at some level caring about this and have the belief that, you know, it's important, not even the belief, but just the sense that it's important to do our part to live sustainably or to make a sustainable reality, um, unless that's something that's sort of self-initiated and sort of self-emergent, um, it doesn't really stand a chance of, of, you know, of having integrity that can really carry that forward in a meaningful, deeper way. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think is... How am I staying optimistic? Or like... Yeah, either or. Um, I don't know, kind of going back to just like recognizing the importance of the little things, yet also not letting that be uh, like scary. Like, um, and of course, outreach is really important. Empathy is really important. Um, I really, you know, this essay that I wrote, not that I'm not expecting it to like change the world or whatever, but like, it's, it's a facet of something that I really, that really like hit me. And I think a lot of people are like recognizing that of like, oh fuck, like there's, you know, just these so many facets of, of what this means for us and so many facets of like being able to act on this because it is such an all-encompassing thing and also just to realize it as like this is everyone's problem this is everyone in the world's thing this is not a political debate this is not a um like this goes beyond language barriers this goes beyond country borders this is 
our world and we have an opportunity to become unified it reminds me of the movie arrival like Mm. that was such a that was such a an opportunity have you seen that movie i have okay yeah Yeah, it's like they send these aliens send out the the instructions to everyone Mm -hmm. and our immediate or like Mm. the governmental immediate response was we're nuking them yeah (laughs) it's like oh this is this is a gift nothing is getting out versus hey if you guys all work together you'll get the message yeah you'll get the literal knowledge of the universe and the future Mm. across time um so i think we're not there yet (laughs) but i'm optimistic that like as things go on and as people you know have to give up their like the certain freedoms that they have like there are so many people i think all three of us for the most part live pretty modestly in terms of like um carbon footprint and whatnot but i just think about people who like literally are on planes every week or so to travel for their jobs and like just stuff that's like there needs to be a better way you know (laughs) like not to point fingers but like it just simply does not make any sense why are we shipping all of this food from wherever whenever when we can grow all these things perfectly fine here Mm. like oh yeah just that just made me think of like uh vegetables like we don't need like bananas year round we could have yeah. seasonal banana like yeah. i love bananas let's be real i do love <laughs> bananas but i could go several months without eating them you do if fuck we could with eat a banana bread <laughs> in season yeah i just cut yeah a great way is just like try to buy plants that are in season try to yeah. buy food that's in season because most of that's going to be a lot more local yeah mm. i did a whole thing on locavorism when i was in college and people were like i genuinely i think p- literally opened people's eyes to it mm. which like and and also recognizing that too of like all these experiences that we think are um unified against or like with other people some people just simply don't know you know i think there's also a really just to kind of further extend a point i was maybe raising earlier like there's a really exciting opportunity when we start thinking in a way that is more deep ecologically oriented or just as more considerate and more kind of mindful in all of these ways we really have the opportunity then to lay claim to corners of our own humanity that are usually shut off just by way of the kind of infrastructures that be. And I think that's a really just exciting opportunity too for its own end, you know, um, that maybe in just being a little bit more inventive, creative, um, kind of uh, more collectively minded or, you know, minded towards maybe in a way that's maybe more communal rather than just individual and private. Um, there's a lot of really exciting kind of just threads, opportunities, possibilities that I think stand to emerge from that in a way that really just at a very basic experiential level can really just help us live in a way that feels more alive. So this is also very much the task of doing all of this is one that's really reviving. And, and I think, um, yeah, is one that I think really can just invigorate us otherwise too. How much do you guys know about like the levels of civilizations? So it's um I think it's more of like a sci-fi philosophical thing, but basically a level 0 civilization which we are is confined to the planet. We do not have control of the energy of the earth. And to get to a level 1 civilization, you have to harness the power 
the energy of the earth, basically. Oh, yeah. I've heard I'm of sorry. That. I'm just thinking about Catan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, and to get to a level two, I think you have to harness the power of the solar system yeah. and on and on and on. But what made me think of this is how you were kind of there was something about like where do we go from this mm-hmm. it's like well think about like sci-fi like what are the kind of more utopic mm. sci-fis yeah. star trek why mm. because they're they're exploring they have a kind of more universal earth yeah. thingy i don't really understand the politics of that show but <laughs> well, um, we also you, have yeah. people in real life trying to you know go away from this world they're trying to colonize yeah. mars and the I mean, moon and shit but they're trying to do it so i'm yeah. all, i'm all on board for that yeah <laughs> for just one billionaire planet ship. but then we walk off the earth so, ah sorry you can't come back well i've just been thinking um i think that's a really good point Aaron. also like um i've been thinking about like fiction like and just the importance of fiction i think it's it's very or i think a kind of idea that exists there is like let you know poo poo fiction it's like it's all imaginary it doesn't have any th- real impact right it's all about just these fantasy that's worlds so that are interesting going to be. i mean that's your that's you though i think that's, that's what i've been told that's though. you what you've been told yeah. i come from a different sort of like school of thought i guess because of film of just like fiction is one of the most powerful weapons we have or tools right. we have well, I, I realize that, I, I, but I think the kind of common current out there says this is all just for fun, you know, it's kind of just recreational. But far from it, I think w- if we want to create the world and manifest the world in new ways, we have to think about it. We first. need stories, we need, we need myth, we, have we to need be creative. We need, about our we need an idea and a vision and images and sounds and the whole kind of sensory nexus of things that can say, oh, it could be like this. Instead of just getting kind of caught up in this literalist trap saying, this is what is, and that's it, you know. Uh, We need to invite this more fictitious kind of mythological attitude, I think, to say, no, this is just how the world is right now with with these causes and conditions and circumstances. But if that was different, it could be this way. Well, it's not even, some of it's not even fictitious. Like, there are indigenous people, and that's all over the world, indigenous americans indigenous australians indigenous europeans you know before everything we knew how to do this mm. we were good at it we didn't fuck up the world then right you know we as humans i mean and not so like scale, it's certainly. it's not like yes it takes a certain level of fiction and and creativity and imagination but it also takes realizing like um just decolonizing would do a lot mm. <laughs> yeah because like every um, recognizing the knowledge of the people that have lived here for centuries like would... the only reason we've gotten to this scientific point is like standing on the shoulders of giants is that we keep building off yeah. the knowledge we have to get more knowledge but they're we're dumb not, himbo yeah. giants that we're standing on the shoulders of <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like human beings are we have not evolved to be smarter over the past right. several thousand years we just, years. We just of, yeah, yeah have that knowledge to look back on and so, yeah, if we start doing that and be like, hey, what were the practices of these people in this area? What were they doing? How is that kind of looking at it? Mm-hmm. What can, how can we improve it? Because we might be able to, because we have better technology. We might be yeah. able to take it a little step further mm-hmm. versus just coming in, wiping all of that away and being like, we're doing this now. Right. It's, yeah. yeah. 
build upon <laughs> what you everyone. know before. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Tabula rasa, back to the drawing board. <laughs> I think, well, to mention a name that comes to mind, Ursula K. Le Guin, um, a lot of her fiction really is about world building. And, you know, I think at, towards the end of her career, she was really very much interested in kind of ecology and, um, you know, fiction as a way of responding to ecological dilemmas. Um, and I, I think her, her writing, well, it's just really fun and engaging to read, first of all, but in doing so and kind of really immersing yourself in a world of fiction and in, with, through the kind of sensibility and the lens and the angle of fiction, you therefore have more agency. You, you, you come upon a kind of agency that you wouldn't have if you were just, yeah, I guess just more kind of nonfiction or just kind of literalists or where, you've, where you're under the, the premise that, you know, there isn't a story here at all in the first place. This is just what it is. When in fact, we're understanding everything through stories all the time. And depending on how we're telling that story, that's going to affect what we do, what we think we can do, how we think we can respond, um, what we think the rules are. So become a storyteller. Can we become collective storytellers to shift how we are contending with all of this, how we're understanding it to, to begin with? I think that's, there's a real kind of, dearth of meaning in in the climate crisis um i think certainly you know to reiterate we absolutely need policy intervention we need work you know in terms of transforming our economies our infrastructures all of that absolutely but just as much we need creators we need artists we need storytellers we need makers of different kinds to come into play here that has a role and i think that's a really under-recognized role in all of this I would say, actually, we could also, not just to get the creative juices flowing with having creative people, but, like, if you buy a bowl from Target, it's been shipped everywhere. If you buy a bowl from mm. somebody who made it in their backyard, I. two e. houses... I.E. who's a ceramic yeah. artist. <laughs> E.H. Ceramics, yeah, everybody go of, buy her stuff. Uh, just kind of the thought of that, it's like, yeah, all this stuff we have, a lot of it we can make there. And that's also a great role for creative people to have. It's like, totally. yeah, you can And you create community. You create like a world yeah. around you. Like in just, I mean, yeah, in a very materialist kind of, like a Marxist reading would say, yeah, like we are in this alienated world where we haven't, we're totally separated from the material conditions of, that we live in, right? You know, it's all flown in from somewhere. It's all shipped in from, from here or there. And we have no relationship with who made it or the, the kind of, geographic origins that x y or z products once came from i think that you know in a very literal physical capacity is a is a really exciting starting point um to just become more artisanal and kind of more um skilled yeah skilled yeah. improvisational yeah. um capable and and kind of matured i think i think that's we just really are are, are very infantilized in that way right like that was one thing yeah. if you were alive you know 150 200 years ago pretty much anywhere you would need to know how to do certain things and things that we just do not have to know now because of how automatized the world is um so being deliberate about doing things more kind of mechanically and more um haptically i think is a really exciting provocation here too so basically we're starting a commune and any of our listeners can join you just must have a skill and uh, you have to have a down payment you, of three hundred thousand dollars payable and, to my venmo though <laughs> <laughs> so i do think it's interesting that throughout this entire thing we did just keep coming back to the best thing to do is just get involved locally yeah it's just yeah to start with what is literally around you right and also kind of think about like how um going back to 
a little bit what you were saying about like how even just viewing nature can make you more aware of it. It's like, yeah, somebody from Montrose, Colorado probably isn't too concerned with the sea levels rising because mm-hmm. we're um, more than a mile right. above sea level. So who gives a shit? But they're going to care about beetle kill because mm-hmm. yeah. you see it everywhere they, the and they're going to care when it bursts into flames in the next couple of months and particularities connect to generalities you can yeah. see very quickly how beetle kill is connected to sea level rise or to yeah. ice cap melting or to, to higher levels of co2 to the warming which is how they're able to expand their habitat yeah. we are all utterly connected to yeah. everything and to sort of come to that realization in a million different ways is a really is part of the path i think yeah well do you guys have any like closing statements or thoughts i forgot to say one thing this is our 10th episode so (laughs) it's a bit of an anniversary uh uh, and maybe just very generally briefly on that point it's been really on this point of making community and starting from the ground up this is absolutely um an activity that caitlin and i have initiated and now have included you aaron and hopefully others in the future to have these conversations to make all of this real and to effect action, practical action, and to unite contemplation with with movement and with doing. Um, I think, just to reflect on that personally, that's been a really emboldening and empowering thing that really all it takes is a friend and a phone and some time of your day, and you can really go many, many places, and so, to affect this outwards, how did what could that look like for you, whoever's listening? Yeah, <laughs> speak to them, <laughs> talking exactly. to their soul. Yeah. But yeah, it's just kind of a. It is. It's always nice having conversations like this. And one of the most annoying things about listening to your podcast is I can't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, and I do think that we don't have a lot of very deep conversations in our day-to-day lives like just generally yeah just generally like most of the time you're just like oh how are you what did you do want to hear about this bullshit that happened you just kind of talk but i don't know it's it's a very fun experience and experiment to just kind of talk for a while and try to can you can you flesh out your own ideas can you talk about your own thoughts in a way that makes sense to other people have you heard of psychotherapy Give the Only from drugged. <laughs> Give a performance of a lifetime every week. Of <laughs> and yeah, and why does talk therapy work super well? Because you're able to... Human connection! <laughs> yeah, human connection. Being able to order your thought process. Being able to, yeah, kind of have a way that you take in all this information. You can think about it. You can talk about it. And at the end, you're like, okay, I... I can rearrange that a little bit. I kind of have a better understanding. I feel better about myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think it has been a very nice 10th episode. Um, and been really nice to sit in this backyard where it has all began. Some lovely tulips over there. Mind you, in place, in context, in the world. Yeah, for sure. Um, this has been The Comments Tale. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.